morning, I'm just going to read um, some scriptures here. Uh, we, we shared on this uh, recently about how Christ always functioned in compass- compassion. We know the, the difference between sympathy, right? Mm-hmm. Empathy and compassion. Sympathy is, I don't know what someone's going through and I can't do anything about it, but I sympathize. What does that do? And it doesn't do anything. <clears throat> Empathy means I have been through what they're going through. But I still can't do anything about it. But Christ had compassion. And compassion is not only going through what that person went through, but having the supernatural ability to alleviate it, to do something about it. And that's compassion. And so when we look in in Matthew, and we mentioned these the other day, what, what that's doing, what, is, what compassion is doing is, is bringing out the heart of God in a way that will actually alleviate through this compassion and bring us to a place experientially where God can, without anything interfering, love us. Now in John 1 verse 1, there is the word, goes back to eternity, And that reveals, when you study that in your original languages, is that the Father and the Son were in an incredible love exchange embrace that not one single thing could ever interfere with or distract. So in other words, words, the whole time that Christ walked the face of the earth in impeccable humanity, he never left the bosom of the Father, yet he was still God and man. Amazing what we have to trust God for. We couldn't figure it out, could we? There's no way. That's why there's only one God. And when you look all through the Bible, there is no one like him. No, there's no one like him. And there's no one like him that has for us a continual supply of love but a lot of times he has to come in and have compassion. Remember, compassion is him, him. Okay. not only what he went through. And that's why the Son, in this Trinitarian council of eternity, was going to be the Lamb slain in Revelation 13, 8, before the foundation of the world. So at what time then was he who was in this eternal embrace between the Father and the Son in in the very deity that they are with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both? Was he not a lamb? (laughs) Really amazing when we think about it. And so for us to experience that, the Son had to put on humanity. And when you read the Bible, when you read scriptures like in Isaiah 50 verse 6 and and uh, certain scriptures, like in Isaiah 52, 13, by the way, and the things that he went through. And we see that again in Matthew, the 27th chapter, the things that he went through and he, prior even to the cross, where he not only felt physical pain like no other human being had ever done. If you study the cross, you'll realize how it was so satanically designed to cause the most extreme 
torture and, and discomfort, but also physically, but also mentally, emotionally, spiritually dealing with every single thing about each and every single one of us because all of our personal sins, personal, were put on him. So he could personally do away with them and then constantly alleviate us in our experience through his compassion to bring us back to a place where he just loves us. Because there is, is there such a thing of peace and contentment and freedom outside of his intimate, personal, experiential love for us. And there just isn't. So when we see that, again, we, we shared in Matthew 9, <clears throat> verse 36, it says, but when he saw the multitudes... What a picture. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. I mean, just the rejection, the, the constant rejection, even if it hadn't come out yet, which it still did with the religious crowd of the day, his own people, in terms of his humanity, but just with the satanic hatred towards him constantly, all through his growth. But yet, it says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. If that doesn't reveal a self-sacrificial love, then that's it's what it's leading us to. God wants us to know that in his love, he has sacrificed everything about himself for us because he was propitiated by that sacrifice. First, in Genesis 22, verse 8, God provided himself a sacrifice. And in doing so, he's provided for us. And so we see in Matthew 9, verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. I mean, it was available for whosoever would. That's why it says in Revelation 22 and verse 17, whosoever will, let him come and drink the water of life. What? Freely the freedom that we have in the self-sacrificial love of God, the freedom that he operates in his own love to, in compassion to bring us to a place, to meet us, to heal us. In Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. And again, that's when he put on humanity to do that in John chapter 1 and verse 14, so that in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, we would have a high priest, the highest above everything, completed. We're complete in him because he completed us in him. And so it says he was moved with compassion on them because they what? They fainted. They fainted. They didn't have any strength. They, did, they weren't graced out by his love. They didn't have his thoughts. And consequently, they didn't have proper emotions. And based upon their thoughts, it says, they were scattered abroad. They just became scattered. How many times in our own time throughout the day do we get away from him and thank God why we need the yoke in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30? Again, Take my yoke in the 28th verse upon you and learn of me. Without a yoke, is there any learning? When we're far away from him, what do we learn? Well, for us in Christ, we can learn when we're far away from him, just what we are in the flesh apart from him. 
And then he's always like the father in the parable of the prodigal. He's always out there waiting for us in Isaiah 30, verse 18, to be gracious, waiting us for, to come back. And you know, when we come back, we may be covered with the self-righteous rags like the prodigal in Isaiah 64, verse 6. And that's what he was doing his whole way back. When you look in Luke, the 15th chapter, you will see all his thoughts about his father weren't thoughts of compassion. They were thoughts that he had to do something so he could win being accepted. How many times that's our thoughts? When we lose sight of who we are, because when we lose the sight of how he sees us, and remember in Job 36, verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. That's our position in Christ. How many times does he have to renew and refocus us in our experience? <clears throat> because we get, we're scattered. And then we function just like sheep without a shepherd. And you know what sheep do? what the four things that they can't do without a shepherd. There is no time that we can ever do those. And we may have this great capacity called Christ, but to function in it, boy, do we need the restraint of a yoke. That's why, it, again, it says it in Lamentations 3 and verse 27. That's why it's needed. That's why in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, it's a good thing in your young days to get to know your creator, experience him. To know your creator, what is he like? What compares to him? What compares to him? Can any be or anything be compared to him? <clears throat> Will anything give us rest like only he can? So they were, they were fainted. They, they had fainted. They had no strength. And of course we know that in Psalm 68, 28, he always continually sends us abundant portions of grace because that's where his love flows through. It can only flow through something we don't deserve. And when we think we need to do something to get back like the prodigal, like the prodigal did, that's where all his thoughts pertaining to his dad was about him and, and maybe he'll receive me less, like a servant, like the religious crowd. I got to do something to win the thing that I can't do without and that is being loved. Like I could do something to deserve it like any of us. But those, they're like sheep and that's what we're like when we get away from him. That's, what, that's, what, that's when we think we need change. We do. That's when we think we need some form of a change because we're, <clears throat> we're like sheep without a shepherd. They can't feed themselves, guide themselves. What else? Clean. Protect and clean themselves. They, there's no time that we can do that. Now we have this great capacity. We are in Christ positionally. But when I get away from him, and when I get away from him, what time are we not weak this whole time? Even though we have this great capacity, what time are we not weak? What time are we not weak? We're weak, right? Hebrews 12.1. Lay aside every weight. Lay aside every weight. That's what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Look what it says 
And I'll read that this morning as it goes with compassion. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and again, the witnesses aren't those that look through a crystal sea and see us. It's not what it's saying. The witness is the word of God recorded about individuals, and they themselves were those witnesses that we have. And that makes it crystal clear in the original. Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of testimonies. Just look at them all in the 11th chapter. Let us lay aside what? Every what? Wait, why? Because we are not built to carry it. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden upon the Lord. No, I got to figure it out first. No, I have to do something first. It's something in me that needs to be corrected. I don't know. Is everything about us perfect in Christ already? Are we complete in him? In Colossians 2, verse 10, already? Yeah. Old things, are old things in the process of passing away? No. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Old things are already, past tense, passed away. Behold, <laughs> behold, <laughs> can I behold him if I'm turning away? If it's my own will, it's works, I got to figure it out. No. Behold, all things are new in him. Did you know that? All things are new. What's that mean? I'm, not only am I new, but everything about me is new. Every circumstance and situation in every place that I go is what? It's new. You know why? Because he's in me. And I'm in him. And he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He won't fail me nor forsake me. Joshua 1, 5. Triple salutation in Hebrews 13, 5. I will never, no, never, no, in any way, ever leave you nor forsake you. Never. So you can be content. And is there contentment when I leave him experientially? There's none. Let us lay aside every weight. Why? Because in Psalm 103, verse 14, right? he knows our frame. He knows that we're just dust. <laughs> and we can't handle it. We can't handle the weight of anything. And because if we don't, look what it says. The sin which so easily entangles us and trips us up. So that no longer we're running with patience the race that's set before us. I just get so impatient. Why? Because I can't do anything about it. And I'm not waiting on him in humility to give me the grace to do it. Because this could be that he must increase in John 3.30, but I must decrease. In my position? No. Where? My experience. Because is there any growth in 2 Peter 3.18 apart from grace? No. Is there any experience of being so deeply loved? We're going to start a thing, and I believe this is of God. I believe he's going to do this. When we talk about those compassion verses all through, all through the scriptures, Matthew 9, verse 36, Matthew 14, 14, on and on it goes. It talks about his compassion. It's the heart of God coming out. His very being, his very nature, character, and essence. That's what he's truly like. He's a God of compassion. And nowhere is that brought out 
in the humanity of Christ as he actually walked the face of the earth, as he was facing the cross, John the 17th chapter. We're going to get into that because I believe God really deeply wants us to know how deeply he loves us and what it, and who it is based upon. And we cannot hear that enough. None of us can, will never come to the end of that. In Ephesians 3.19, it says to know the love of God that passes what? Knowledge. And again, what does that mean? That means for all eternity, we will never come to the end of God who is love, how much he loves us individually for all eternity. It's an individual love. Now, when you're individually loved and you're content and you're resting and you have peace, now you have a love life exchange because of Christ in each vessel, and that's called fellowship, and it's nothing else is called fellowship, by the way. If it is not Christ, it's not fellowship. You may have tea. You may go on a hike, but if it's not Christ, it's not fellowship. It just isn't. It's not the exchange of a love life. That nothing, listen, nothing can disturb or distract. What's it mean to be content? I'm not, at, this, at this particular place in my experience, I'm not disturbed and nothing's distracted me. Hebrews 12, 2. Again, looking away from all that will distract all. I don't, it doesn't matter who it is. This is individual. This speaks of how Christ desires your individuality and no one or nothing else can take his place because there's no one else like him. <laughs> looking away, looking away from all that would distract unto Jesus. Unto who? What does it say? Have eyes only for Jesus. Because you'll continually know who you are based upon who he is. And he bases his love for you and I upon who he is. It's never the lie or the accusation, you're not this, thereby he doesn't love you. Now, he can't fellowship with sin, okay? but it doesn't change our relationship. That's why in our position speaks of a relationship. Sin cannot touch that. That's 1 John 5, 18. The wicked one touches us not. That's our position. But can he touch the... Can he touch the experience? Oh, he deeply desires to go after that. There's where the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Experience. Because he cannot touch, and that's John 10, 10a. Can't touch our position in him. He cannot do it. And so, again, in all those places, you will see in John the 17th chapter, we're going to see this, and and I, I believe that God would have us to go into that. Because that is... If you want to see the exchange of a love life between the Father and the Son about those that the Father has given to uh, has given Christ as their as their own, like He's given us to Him, you will see His heart poured out for us. It's incredible. Nothing like it in all the Bible is John the 17th chapter. But I will say this: when we get into it, we want to. We want to do, and I believe God would have us to do it as I it was just touching on it briefly, briefly this morning. John, the 17th chapter, and those 26 verses bring out a depth of intimate, incredible love for us. And what brings it out? That brings it out in, in the fact of Christ while he walked the face of the earth. But I'll tell you, you know what else? What brings it out in types 
like almost nothing in the whole Bible, is this is Song of Solomon in the most intense, beautiful way. Because listen, all Scripture has Christ as its theme, period. And if you have Christ, it's not like years ago, oh, Jesus only. It's nothing to do with that. If you have Christ, you have the Father. Remember John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, right through 26 and 15, 26, and John 16, 7, the Holy Spirit proceeds from both. <laughs> Got it made. No wonder it says, the whole time that Christ walked the face of the earth, in Colossians 2, verse 9, he was filled up with all, that, all who God is. That's what the original says in Colossians 2, 9. King James will say he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But the whole time, that whole time, when, when you look at the uh, Song of Solomon, you will see, and I will see the types of how it's brought out. So incredible. So incredible. See, we're like sheep. The least little thing can distract us in a heartbeat. No, it's true with all of us. I'm not singling anybody out. It's not just about you. You know, the word being preached today, it's not just about you. <laughs> Don't think so, because if you do, that's not humility. <laughs> that would be pride, because you would be making more of yourself than anybody else, even in the compassionate love of God that he has for us. Right? And that's why conviction is so beautiful. Conviction is God, God's love towards us in our experience. Will you submit? That's right, conviction. And he convicts us in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, so we won't be condemned with the world. Right? That's why he convicts us. And what does he, and what does he convict us with? Himself. And God is love. 1 John 4, 7 to 16, God is love. That's why, again, all through the scriptures, we are never called children of love. No, because love is of God. <laughs> We're called children of light. And that's, again, in Ephesians 5, 8 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. And the reason it says light is because that the, what does light do? It manifests and does away with darkness. And Jesus put on humanity as the light that came out. And that light brings us what? Right back into what? A relationship of a love life that nothing can disturb or distract. When our will is submitted. When our will is submitted. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to do. That's Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. Do this and live. No. Done. Receive. That's right. Christianity is Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. You hear that? I'm dead. What, am I, what, what is a dead man trying to do? Dead. Gone. The struggles? Gone. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Well, is Christ my life in Colossians 3, verse 4? That's nevertheless I live. Yet not I. My life has nothing to do with the old me. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's individual. No one else can give you that love life in your own individuality but Christ. 
very jealous. We talked about how his love is so jealous in Exodus 20, verse 5. Exodus 34, verse 14. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. In Hebrews 12, verse 29. His love, he is so jealous over us. So jealous. He wants us all to himself. And when he has the individual all to himself, and then he has the other one all to himself, now you have an exchange called fellowship. Otherwise, the only thing that you can have in common, if it isn't fellowship and Christ experientially, is the flesh. It's exactly what it is. And it's not who we are. The word is being taught to us. It's not telling us who we aren't. That's flesh. That's, it's telling us we're not the flesh, I should say. It's telling us this is who we are. The flesh that's in us, we are not of in Romans 8 verse 9. Prodigal, all the way back, he was forming his thoughts based upon himself about how he thought his father would think towards him. Well, I blew it this time. It's the, all these years and all these things. Oh my God, maybe he, he, he probably won't let me back into the house. <laughs> but I can be a servant because I even saw how he treated them. And the servants weren't in the house. They weren't part of the family. Yeah, but we see that the father who was there every day looking for the, waiting to be gracious for the son to return. He's kissing him on his neck. The first thing you hear is, Father, I'm not worthy. And from that point on, the only thing that is revealed, the son is quiet from that point on. The only thing you hear is the father's thoughts of compassion towards his son when he's in his rags. No wonder it says in James 4, verse 8, draw near to God. That's all. Just draw near. He's waiting to be gracious. He, and what does it mean he's waiting to be gracious? He will pour his love out on you because that's what cleanses us. But love is never apart from his grace. And his grace and his love is never apart from his glory. That's why we don't glory in anything other than him in Galatians 6 verse 14. We don't glory in men in 1 Corinthians 3.21. I don't care who they are. We don't glory in their gifts even though, thank God, for men that are the gifts in Ephesians 4.8 and those that have those specific gifts in Ephesians 4.11, but we don't magnify their gift. We magnify Christ, the treasure that flows through the gift, period. We honor, yes, we honor one another and reverence Christ in each vessel in Ephesians 5 verse 21. Yes, but the double honor all through the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, Galatians 6, verse 6, we do, we do take care of them. That's God's order. That's what double honor is. It's not like it has been taught. And again, we were, we were taught beautiful things and we're thankful to God, okay? And the correction is not correcting the past. It's giving us beautiful blameless definition for the present. Doesn't mean that because this man is a, is a pastor and he has a certain gift, I double honor him like more than just anybody else who have the same life of Christ in them. We're all equal. We are. We're all equal with the capacity that we have. But we're not all equal in our growth. 
but we certainly are in our capacity, and even that's not left up to ourselves. From that, from the point that the prodigal came back and said, I'm not worthy, and said, oh, you know, I'm not worthy, he's kissing him on his neck. And many times we reveal, the scriptures reveal, especially in the first three chapters of the book of Proverbs, how the neck reveals the will. The neck has to do with the will. Okay, this is where all the thinking is. It's in the brain. It's here. The mind and the emotions. This just pumps blood. This is cardia. It's not noose. Okay, it's lab. It's the mind. That's right. So when it says in Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, it's your mind. That means it has to be his thoughts about, about himself and his thoughts about you and him. Then you don't lean to your own understanding. Then in all your ways you acknowledge him. How quick should we? Because as quickly as we acknowledge him, quickly he, he what? What does he do? And he will what? He will do what? Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And Yes, and that will be the place you draw near. Because there's only one path. And who tread that for us? And that was Christ. Be not wise in your own eyes. And when you reverence the Lord, you will depart from evil. What is evil? My thoughts, I don't care what they are apart from his. Because no man is master of himself. None. So again, he had compassion on them. Just like the right away, all you hear in the prodigal, the, the father is all about his love and compassion for him. Instantly. Instantly. If I draw near to him and I have rags in my experience, and I draw near, I confess it in first on one night, what is he waiting to do? He can only be waiting to grace us out. And what flows through grace? All his love, again, in Romans 5, 5, poured out for us. So many times we've said this in the past, and I, I can't hear it enough. We approach God when we fail. When we sin, when we, you know, backslide, when we do the hundredth million time, the thing that we hate, we're in Romans, the seventh chapter. Listen, and, and even that's growth, by the way. The enemy may try to convince you it's not, but by the time you get to Romans, the seventh chapter, if you're going to go forward into Romans, the eighth chapter, you are going to go down because he must increase, but I must decrease in John 3.30. And he will even accuse you of that. It's too long. It's too late. I can't tell you how many times he's told me that. Since I've been here, I mean it. It's too late. You've done it. You did it this time. It's over. Now, whose thoughts are those? I don't know. His thoughts are, I will what? Never leave you nor forsake you. That's God's thoughts. So in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God. What will be the result? He'll draw nigh to you. He will not force his will on you. He will not force force in your experience, the proper identity of your position until you submit your will to him who fulfilled all his will in John 4 verse 34. Draw nigh to God, near to him, he'll draw near to you. Then you cleanse your hands, you sinners. Now I got to clean them first. Then you purify your heart, you double-minded. Now I got I to get this right first. Why? Well, because, you know, you're living by your emotions. Your emotions become the definition of who you are. And are they? No. 
Because if you have, again, bad emotions, where do those come from? Bad thoughts. Bad thoughts are what? They're evil. Does God think evil about us in Christ? Never. He, he never does. So when we look at these verses, when we see these particular things here, and what it means to us, and his very character, the very character of God through Christ is brought out continually, all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's bringing it out continuously. Did anything stop him? Did he set his face like a flint? Could anything stop him? Nope. Nothing could stop him. He always, in John 8, verse 29, did those things that please the Father. Because in pleasing the Father, then the Father was set through Christ to please us by putting us in him. So, he always did those things that pleased him in Romans 5, 15, verse 3. So, am I pleasing? Is my experience the equal of my position? Actually, who Christ is. You know, when, we, when God sees us, how does he see us in our own individuality? You tell me. How does he see us? Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in these fragile clay jars. Who's the treasure? So who does he see us as? Christ. Isn't it an in our own individuality. No one else can do that for you. No one. Not another single person can do that. Not one single one can do that. So we see Jesus, even his human emotions, even those human emotions that he, he had, he had compassion. He had compassion. What was that based on? We said this the other day, that the, the emotions that Christ expressed, and you can see that again in, in those four Gospels, it either brought out mercy, which is his tender, compassionate love, or it brought out wrath. Is there any wrath for us now that we're in Christ? Nope. John 3, 36. Nope. He, there's no wrath for us. Did you know that? Your worst day? By the way, your worst day and my worst day, has that already been dealt with in the eternal mind of God through Christ that he came in time and dealt with on Calvary? But only, also all through his walk, every step. I mean, every step he took, he took first for his father and then that being so, he took it for us. Do you know he has a plan for you and I? In Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, his plan is perfect because it's based upon his way, and his way is Christ in John 14, 6. His plan is perfect. His work is perfect in 2 Samuel 22, and verse 31, and in Psalm 18, verse 30, it's perfect, it's complete. That's what it means. God has one complete thought about us, and it comes out in so many details. It's Christ. So that's it. That is it with us. So those human emotions were described in terms of order. Order. What's God's order? What's God's order for us? Well, this is God's order for us the whole time we're on this earth. Here's God's order. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then. Oh, is it necessary to see? And can we see properly without a will submitted and we can't. We can't. 
Seeing then that we have a what? Great high priest. Who's higher than him? No one. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. In some translations, it says profession. It's the wrong word. The Greek word is confession. Do you know that's what we're confessing in 1 John 1, 9? We're not confessing that, that the sin that we did was who, is who we are. We're confessing that he who has us has dealt with it. That's what it is. It's not putting ourselves on probation and then trying to earn and work our way back based upon thoughts that don't have a single thing to do with God's one thought about us in Christ. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Listen, if everything about you and I was not dealt with, would Christ have risen from the dead in Acts 17, verse 31? No. Proof of the resurrections. Two things the resurrection is proving. Number one, all our sins are dealt with. We're not our sin. Thank you, Jesus. We're not. I'm not my worst day. I'm not the most evil. It's not, it's not who I am. It isn't. Resurrection proves that. Because would, would God, in Romans 8, 11, have raised him from the dead in Matthew 28, 1 through 6, would he have raised him from the dead had not every single sin of ours personally been dealt with? Never would have happened. So the resurrection proves, listen, we are headed to a glorious eternity. But it also reveals judgment is coming, but none on us. None on us. And that's why he even chastens us. Not because he's judging us, but he chastens us so we won't be condemned with the world. That's why we're convicted. <laughs> There's no judgment in the conviction of God's love for us because everything's been removed and Christ is the one that removed all distance between the Father, God, and us. He's removed it all. So seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heaven, heavens, Jesus that's his humanity. The Son of God, that's his deity. <laughs> Boy, we got everything going for us. Every human thing that we could ever experience has been dealt with beautifully. And every human need that we ever had in, in Philippians 4.19 has already been met by him. That's why we can do all things in 4.13 of Philippians. Through him that so loves us and makes us more than a conqueror. In, in our experience, because the position's finished in Romans 8, 37. Let us hold fast our confession. The enemy says, see, you failed, you sinned. You've been doing this for so long, and you keep going back, and you come out, and you keep going back, and then you make vows, and you fail, and then you, you listen to things that say you must consider your commitment to God. When the Bible makes it crystal clear, his commitment to you is unchangeable in Christ, and that's the issue. It's not what you do, it's what you receive that's already been done. And so that's your confession. And even in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what do we experience? His faithfulness and his justice that cleanses us. Oh boy, from every sin. Boy, we've gone into that in the past. For we have, in 4.15, not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, the bad emotions because of what we did with our thoughts and what it did to us. <laughs> you know, that's why it says there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ in Romans 8. One, because condemnation, you condemn someone because it's based upon their guilt. But did he just pay 
for what I did, or did he pay even for all the effects of what I did? And had it not been removed, would there still be effects? It's done. It's over for us. What a life we have. There's no condemnation in Christ, is there? Now he became, he didn't, he never did in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He never became sin for us, like certain translations will say. He became the sin sacrifice for us. He had to be a pure sacrificial lamb. No spot in him. Never needed a yoke in Numbers 19, verse 2. He was no spot. He was blameless. No wonder when we receive him, the moment we do, we're spotless in him. We'll see how that's brought out in Song of Solomon 4, verse 7. You are all fair. You are all beautiful. You're gorgeous. You are beautiful. (laughs) That's what Christ is saying to us. That's what his love is expressing to us. You're beautiful. You're gorgeous. There's not one single spot in you. So continue in your experience to think above in your position. Look from the top in Song of Solomon 4, verse 8. For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points, does it really say tempted? No, he never had a sin nature. He had a human nature. He was tried. He had to be a faithful high priest as the son of God, but in humanity he had to know everything that we would feel. Everything. So when it says he dealt with our sins, he dealt with everything that brought us to those sins and every effect he dealt with, but he had to feel it. And he did. And he removed it. And Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, and you go east in eternity and tell me when you stop, and you go west and tell me when you can stop. It's over for us. That's why we have a high priest. And he was in all points tested like as we. God never tempts us with evil in James 1.13. He tests and purifies us, our dependence and our humility by grace through us submitting to him, knowing that in 1 Peter 1.7, the trial of your faith is much more precious than gold. Make that the thing you go after and not the other one, right? And then it says, who was tested like as we, because no one's like him, as we yet without sin, not sins, sin, nature, clearly in the original, he never had a sin nature, had a human nature, because remember, the sacrifice had to be perfect, completely, and spotless. See? So was he ever tempted of the devil, like certain translations say. Was he ever tempted? No, he was tested. Who was being tested in that? In Matthew, the fourth chapter, and Luke, the fourth chapter. Who was, who was the one that was being tested and shown to be an absolute fool? Who was the enemy? Not our Savior. Let us, therefore, let us, there's the will, let us. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Richly where? In your experience. But my gosh, if you don't even know your position in Christ based upon the epistle of Ephesians, how are you going to draw near? When you're less in your own eyes than who Christ is in God's eyes. Man. Let us therefore come what? Boldly. Why? Because in 1 John 4, 17... As he is, we're to have boldness in the day of judgment. Why? There isn't any for us. 
He dealt with it. That's why it says we're to have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, where is he? Right hand in his humanity, the Father above everything. With us in him. And him and us down here. And the Comforter, the Holy Spirit teaching us and showing us in John 14, 16, and 17. That unction that we have in 1 John 2, 20. The one who knows everything in 1 John 2, 27, and he knows everything about us and who we are in Christ, and that's why he's constantly bringing us to that reality with a submitted will. Again, in 1 John 2, verse 27, let us therefore come boldly unto what? Boldly, why? Because again, 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we, when? Right now in this present evil world. And there's no fear in love. Fear, well, where's that come from in my experience? Well, I did something, now i got to fix it. I've done it so long, it's over. No, it's not. Draw near to him, instantly he'll draw near to you. Why? You can, and I can, because we're in Christ. We're not in our sins, positionally. We can function in them experientially, but we even, that's our confession. In 1 John 1, 9, we are confessing. Our great high priest in, in, in Hebrews 4, verse 14. So as we wrap it up this morning, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of what? Are any judge, is there any judgment in grace? When we face God, do we face him as a God of judgment or a father who has placed us in the son of his love in Colossians 1 and verse 13? Are we children of love? Yeah, why? We, we are to walk in love. We're children of light. And we're to walk in love in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And so we come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain what? His tender, compassionate mercy. Oh, boy. And find grace. Where do we find it? Find grace right in the nick of time, right when we have a need. And who fulfilled all that need? Well, God, as we close, wants us to experience the initiation of his love so that we have, through his thoughts, a true emotional response. You know what, I, you know what a true remo- emotional response is for a believer? Joy. Should I go? Should I make my feelings of joy even be the measure? No. No. Because that can be up and down. We know that. Like in a, in a minute or a second even, we can change. But he doesn't. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14, he doesn't change. He does not change. In Malachi 3, 6, he doesn't change. Whatsoever he does, he does forever. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14, he does it forever. We're finished. We're in him forever. <laughs> For all eternity. And we have eternal life in us right now. In 1 John 5, 11. So he wants us to experience a true emotional response but even when we don't have a true emotional response do i still have peace with god yes because it's unchangeable because in he is our peace in ephesians 2 verse 14 and as long as my mind stays on him experientially in isaiah 26 verse 3 he will keep me in the completion of his love that place me in the peace that he is that's what it says And then in this, we have the oneness of what? Fellowship. Fellowship. We have the oneness of fellowship, and then we have the fellowship of oneness. That's Jesus' whole high priestly prayer in John the 17th chapter. 
brought out as he's facing the cross and having this conversation in his perfect humanity with his father like it's not brought out anywhere in the whole Bible. But it's brought out in beautiful types in Song of Solomon. Beautiful types of which it was so incredible just to go over it this morning. I'm really anticipating God doing that. But we have the oneness of fellowship and the fellowship of oneness and each individual has one life. Are you dependent on someone else for you to have life? Are you depending on a change, a person, so that you can experience their life? No, Christ is your life. Colossians 3, verse 3, you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Hidden in a way that only you can reveal, you can have that fellowship with him. Did you know that? He deeply desires what he's done for us intimately to enter into in the intimacy of a love life in us, in our own individuality. So what is God's one thought? And again, we're going to close here. God's one thought, what is it? It's Christ. And we said this, and I'm just going to repeat this, and then we'll stop. We'll stop it right here. Are God's thoughts random? Are they? Remember how we brought out random? Random. This is what random means. This is what our thoughts are, apart from a proper experience. God's thoughts are not random. They're not all over the place. There's no confusion in God in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God's not the author, and that means leader. He is not the leader of confusion, but of what? Life and peace. Okay? In a specific order in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, meaning I have a well-disciplined, ordered mind in 2 Timothy 1, 7. God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, Christ, love through Christ, and a very disciplined mind. Very well-disciplined mind. So random, we don't live in random thoughts. Proceeding or made or occurring without definite aim. Oh, God. No definite aim. I, I, I lost my whole purpose. Why are we here? You mean to tell me I think I can serve God? If I don't function in the reality of proper purpose? Why are we here on this earth? to be conformed in Romans 8, 28, to the image of his son, period. Period. There's where the life flows. That's why Mary, Mary sat at his feet in Luke 10, 38 to 42. And that's why Mar Martha was in an emotional response of irritation. <laughs> Don't leave his presence. Don't go to the kitchen and think you can cook without him. No wonder it tastes so good. Without definite aim, without a proper reason, without a proper pattern, because then I just become a statistic. With my own random thoughts, I just become some statistic. That's what I am. What am I all about? Who are you? What am I all about? Why am I here? What's the plan? The plan is God is conforming you to the image of the Son. That's why we're all here right now, in this particular place. We don't just become a statistic at all. We are blameless in him. Blameless. Amen? He loves us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name for your intense, incredible love. Amen.